Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now, this is the final episode in our MMC series. We've been talking to all sorts of big brains and exciting entrepreneurs about how they're approaching offsite manufacturing. And for the final episode, we're talking to Simon Gorthorpe, who's the MD at Urban Splash. Now, a year ago, Urban Splash came together with Japanese giant Sekasui House and with Homes England, the government's housing agency, to, to strike a, a three-way deal uh, that created House by Urban Splash, an integrated business focusing on development and modular manufacturing. Uh, and they've got some exciting projects already underway across right across the country, right across England, uh, everywhere from Manchester to Cambridge, Birmingham as well. And I started by asking Simon just to talk a little bit about how the last 12 months have gone and where he sees the next year or two for House by Urban Splash and the wider MMC agenda. Well, so... I mean, yeah, it has been a year. I think it took sort of probably two and a half years um, actually negotiating it and getting it to land. So I think whilst, you know, the first year is all about sort of embedding the business, getting a lot of the secretary house colleagues over, get them UK resident and working within the team. So that um, that's gone really well. And as I say, because it's been such a long gestation period, we've known them well, built up the relationships. So, but established a lot of things in a year. I mean, we've brought land, we've improved the factory, we've improved the, the product, the design, and starting to get everybody working uh, together and, and you know, taking on some really big challenges, but hugely exciting, exciting year. And what's been, what's been the biggest challenge? Because you almost, you've almost kind of got two or three different businesses there, haven't you, in terms of designing the product, getting the manufacturing going, and then almost the, the traditional bit, the land and the development bit, which is you know, what you guys have been doing for, for 26 years. But they're, they're quite separate, distinct, different elements, aren't they? Yeah, and I suppose we we started off with the idea coming out of the you know the last recession, looking at how can we reinvent the business, how can we look at taking housing forward. With starting that, it was all about fantastic sort of design and good quality design, not necessarily MMC. But as we move forward in that journey, we started working with SIG. They provided the houses for us. But again, that probably we probably felt that actually we needed that full control, which ultimately led to us acquiring the factory from them and then having this vertically integrated model. And it's, as you say that the, the, the problem with that is that you then have to sort of, you know, spin all the plates if you like. So you have to make sure you get the land, the right land coming in, then with the right product, the right capability, and then obviously having the sales avenue. So certainly that's meant that we've had to grow the team across that full vertically integrated piece. And I guess our challenge is bringing all of those online um, and and developing and investing in those at the same time, so that we can build a you know a long term you know sustainable business model. So um, lots of challenges, but we're making really good progress, and it has been a great year. When we when we just sort of reflect back and think what's been achieved on all fronts, you know, yeah, hugely exciting. Won a lot of land, got in for planning, um, but it's it's almost it's the future that is you know now you know again the the, the main focus for us as well. And you've got some big schemes, haven't you, underway at the minute? Um, and, and you've been you've been edging your way further and further south, haven't you, over the last uh, couple of years? Um, and, and that you know that that's that is quite a seismic change for Urban Splash. And you're now in Cambridge, 400 homes on the go, uh, and other projects as well. Other really sizable projects in Birmingham as well. 
Yeah, so I guess uh, whilst we've whilst headquartered in Manchester, we've been in national business for some time. But with how this has made us then sort of relook at the map and actually start looking at some of those sites further south, and as you say, in Cambridge, in uh, Milton Keynes, in in Birmingham, and I think some you know big opportunities for us there, and that. You know, in time, you know, we can see that being sort of, you know, expansion of a of a regional business um, as as we grow, but but all sort of centred around, I suppose, the key fundamentals. I mean, you know, in terms of the core of what we're doing is about sort of good quality design, well made. But not just the houses; it's about the sort of the places. So typically, when we're looking at those sites, it's about looking at a sizable site in its own right or part of a site that we think we can bring some of our urban plus sort of design and, and perspective um you know to those areas so you know a, a good national program that that's in our sites and, and that dna is quite important to you isn't it as a business that design dna that 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 feeling that sense of place and that ability to be a bit more creative than than what many would expect from traditional house builders that's always that's always something that that's essentially i guess flown through the business flow yeah in in, in all in all elements of it definitely and you know we're a design-led business in, in in all the years you know i've been here 16 years in the different projects that we've done it's all about looking at getting the right design solution for that particular building but each building being sort of slightly different to the next one but the common theme is about great quality homes how can we make the best of that building how can we make the best of those spaces and then as we go into the modular side of things you know what we're trying to develop here you know is a great sort of product range whether that's been with townhouses you know various different sizes and then apartments again design being the key thing but not just design per se i suppose the challenge that we're then putting in is how can we bring in the customer choice side of things so you know with our townhouse you can come and you can go on our configurator and look at designing elements of it your yourself and so you know again that's what we want to create is great houses that the customer can enjoy and enjoy through the design process initially and then enjoy actually sort of you know living in it but yeah design design running through all the time and in terms of let, let's talk a little bit about Sekasui House your Japanese partners so what, what did they think about the British or English housing construction market when they when they came over do you think were they uh, were they impressed by uh, how forward thinking we are over our, our well, system and our 30 year old uh, well, system certainly describing, not, not in R&D. describing the planning system to them was quite uh, interesting insofar as just that lack of certainty and, um, and the process and the intricacies that you would need to go to on a particular thing. That was that certainly took quite a few sessions and we were worried it was being sort of lost in translation on a number of occasions. But, I mean, they, they've had an overseas program for quite some time and they've invested in heavily in America and in China, in Singapore, Australia, um, as well. And so when they approached the UK, you know, they had a reasonable idea about, you know, working internationally, a very big idea. Um, but actually, when they looked at the UK, they were very surprised that we that of the, this housing crisis. I think they felt that for such a sort of progressive economy and country that our systems would be much better, our technologies would be much better. And I think they were genuinely sort of taken aback at that. And so, um, you know, once we went through the DD, explained all of that, I think they started to see that as a big opportunity because actually taking some of their thinking, some of their technology, some of their ways of working and bringing that over to the UK 
would start having some quite big effects. And I think our challenge here is to, you know, and having been to Japan a number of times and seen the factories and seen their processes, there's lots and lots that we can learn from them. But it's actually what's what's relevant to the UK market, what works with our system and our way of doing it, and how can we bring those bits in. But there's, you know, there's bits that we're already doing in that. Um, but, but you know, bags of potential. What, what do you think uh, you can teach them? What, what, you know, what, what, what are some of the things that you think they might take back from Urban Splash and, and start to embed into some of what they're doing in Japan? Well, I think, um, I mean, the design, again, the design side of things is interesting because I think, and, and the, focus, the focus on brand, the focus on product. And so we are, you know, very ruthless about that and making sure we've, and I would say that we've got sort of a high bar there. Um, and so, and, and so they have already looked heavily at sort of the way that we market a project and taken that back. But it is genuinely a two-way thing. You know, we've had a lot of, sort of sharing of they look at this way of marketing, this way of, you know, they, they do a huge amount of sort of R&D and customer research um, into that. And so, again, having been around, they've been around for 60 years, they've got a 200,000 square foot R&D facility, which is an amazing thing. And you go in and they've, they've tested everything to the point of, um, destruction and so so I suppose that's definitely what we could learn but I think the other thing that they've learned having worked in other overseas um, countries is that it, it's not a one-size-fits-all so they didn't come to the UK and say um, this is the Japanese way of doing it you must do it like this I think they'd already worked out that actually the, the best here is to sort of combine the two so this is about sort of you know our knowledge in place making our knowledge of the system in the UK our sort of contacts our way of working with actually then some colleagues that they brought over a different focus as well um, in our execution and delivery side of things so I think that's that, that that's the most exciting bit because I think there are genuinely good you know we're in workshops and there's good light bulb moments where they will actually suddenly get something that we're talking about or vice versa or bring in a specific you know they continually bring in a specific expert that looked at particular areas that will then shine a light on you know this particular way of doing it sustainability side of things so yeah I mean you know huge every, every time that we have a sort of you know design workshop or something like that I think there's something unexpected that comes out of it which is you know which is great and great seeing how the team react to that as well. And in, in terms of, uh, I guess, how we emerge from the current crisis, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about making uh, or bringing supply chains closer to home and, and for manufacturing businesses of all kinds, uh, but essentially relocating, uh, relocating facilities and relocating uh, that supply of resources that might have been a bit more global. Um, Obviously, a lot of construction, particularly in, in off-site, uses Chinese steel, uses concrete, uses all sorts of materials. It, from your perspective, do you see do you see everything coming back to England a bit more? Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, you know quite a bit is in is um, English based anyway. I mean, we we inherited the supply chain when we bought the factory. We've gradually sort of looked at working with existing suppliers, brought one or two new suppliers in. This is certainly shine a light on that where we sort of said actually we'll ask you know when we go back to the factory as we have done in the last couple of weeks um are we having those conversations are those easy conversations to know that they're there to be able to support us um and in the main yes they are um and so but i think it, what it does remind us is that actually 
as good a system as we might have and we might be continuing improving around, it is about the strength of the supply chain. And so I think in terms of us looking forward, we're keen to work with our supply chain in a much more proactive way to make sure that actually it's working for them and for us. I think the other thing as well is about the collaboration as well with some of our other MMC, you know, competitors, and they're not really competitors because they're, they're fellow pioneers in one sense, because, you know, actually this has brought us all together to have very progressive conversations. And I think that gradually over time, we can speak to the supply chain you know, just and then the supply chain that might have been, of course, we're interested in MMC. I think suddenly now they're seeing the volume of that, and so I think the supply chain will come to MMC um, in a, you know, in a, in a more informed way and in a stronger way. So I think there's some certainly some benefits, um, you know, that we'd see coming out of COVID-19 as a result of that side of things as well. Hmm. And and what do you think? Um, you know, what do you think the role now is for other investors, particularly? Uh, maybe from the States, maybe from other parts of Asia to come here uh, and, and almost do a similar thing? Because, I mean, there must be other opportunities within the UK construction. Obviously, we're going to need to build a few homes here and there, a few hospitals and some schools, not to mention maybe one or two railway lines if those continue to go ahead. Do you see Britain being a hotbed of investment or do you think that there's a... Is there a fear, do you think, that once we compound the current issues with Brexit, that that potentially stamps a bit of a foot over our competitiveness well i mean i think it's sort of, if i take it back to the secretary deal i think it, they kept going back to the fundamentals the fundamentals were strong and the fundamentals are is that we've got a shortage in housing and we've got a shortage of good quality housing and so i think for companies that are keen to get into that sort of area of the market then you know, then, you know, there's a real sort of strong investment case. I think it's then about building this momentum. So Secretary House, of course, are interested in terms of around the Brexit side of things. Likewise, in terms of their interest in about how our government response is and through Homes England on sort of COVID-19 and what support there is. And clearly, you know, the residential market is a strong economic driver for the country. And so, again, we're able to sort of, you know, report those sort of, um, you know, those sort of comments back um, to Secretary House. So, and, and, I, and I'm aware through other conversations that there are a number of, again, international companies that are looking at the market in the same way Secretary House has. And I, and I think that's to be encouraged. And I think, again, we'll drive innovation and development that we'll actually we'll all benefit from um, as well. So, you know, the, the fundamentals are still there, albeit there's some tentativeness as we come out of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And and what do you think longer term? What what do you think the opportunity is here for, uh, you know, for the current government to to support MMC better? You know, what sorts of policy changes would you like to see? Given them, and obviously, given the government's made a sizable investment in your business, it's clearly supportive of the agenda. But there's obviously some way to go, isn't there, in terms of moving things forward? Well, I think. I mean, it's the quality agenda, really, that's the, the big driver. So I think that's quality in terms of the quality of the homes, the sort of the decarbonisation as well in our society, and making sure there's that, that sustainable side of things. And I think that makes it easier in a manufacturing um, environment. Um, and, and also, I suppose, the sort of bringing in some of that technology. So, uh, you know, at the moment, our process is 
um, you know, in terms of, you know, we've got very few, or I mean, it's, it's a fairly sort of basic process that we're improving from the efficiency point of view. I think what we're then interested in going to the next level is about the automation side of things. And I think when we get to that, that actually, you know, what we can see this now happening, I mean, we can see in terms of the, the, the movements and the improvements that we've made. And I think as we look forward five years, 10 years, the output in terms of the quality of the homes, the number of homes is going to be considerable. And so I think that's that it's, it's but it doesn't, we can't do it on our own. I mean, basically it has to happen at volume and at scale. And I think that means it's sort of public private working with each other to make sure that actually the changes that are making now and the momentum is sustained for the long term. The, the, the potential downside is that actually through COVID-19, people sort of, let's say, turn the tap off on the investment side of things. And we miss this great opportunity to, you know, revolutionize the industry, which clearly it needs. And, and I think also within that, thinking as, you know, back to what you were saying a little bit earlier on about customization, about design, all of these things essentially are about making the whole housing market a bit more consumer friendly because it's it's not really very consumer friendly, is it? Well, no, and I suppose, look, we're, we're trying to sort of give that sort of grand design idea to on that opportunity to sort of people. I mean, typically with the grand designs, you know, unless you've got a piece of land, unless you've got a load of time and a load of money, it's outside of people's sort of reach. What we're saying is we take our townhouse 1500, you've got the opportunity then to come in and say, I want to live with the reception on the ground floor or the, or on the top floor. I want to have four bedrooms or one bedroom. And you can, you can actually design that within the space um, with us. And I think what's interesting as well is about through COVID-19 is about people's sort of choices about how they, they balance, have the, you know, the live work life balance. And I think now having, you know, the office at home is quite interesting and so you can do that, you can work that through um, with us as well. So, you know, that's a, a, you know, key thing to the customer, customer sort of options. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and then, I mean, just just to finish off, then, where would you like to be? Where would you like to be in a year or so's time? Obviously, it's been a been a bit of a crazy year, and and no immediate clarity over 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 some of the uh, you know some of the, the the current challenges. But you know, assuming that that we get through COVID nineteen in the next couple of months, where would you like to see house at? Um, you know, by mid mid twenty twenty one. Well, I suppose I'd like to see that we are sort of up and running on, uh, you know, a good number of sites, a good 10 plus sites. I would like to see that the the model is working such that we've got houses that are being regularly customised by, you know, in terms of our customers that are going in through the factory, leaving the factory on a regular basis, going to sort of, you know, new sites, new areas. And then that we've got the sort of the, the the development process that is, is running sort of smoothly and that we can see how that we can sort of, you know, let's say wind that up. But I keep coming back to the design side. This isn't just all about sort of volume and checking out the volume for us. We want to sort of have that great port loop area in terms of 40 homes that in the first phase there. They're all working well. They've got sort of great outside spaces next to the canals that are, you know, great amenity spaces. So I think it's a full ping thing. But I think then the other big thing is is the integration of uh, Sukasui House. So lots of ideas that they're bringing over. And I think more and more as we get through, we'll see that coming through in our products um, and also in our, in our you know, the design of those you know, communities as well. So it's a, it's a lot to do in a short space of time, but that's, that's the ambition. Thank you, Simon. And let's bring in Mark Farmer, who's the government's MMC champion for home building. 
Um, Mark, it was really interesting to hear Simon talk uh, in some depth about Urban Splash's relationship with Sekasui House, the Japanese home building giant. What do you think? What do you think others can learn from that? Obviously, it's a fantastic relationship for Urban Splash to have cemented with with Homes England in tow as well. And it's a, you know it underlines, doesn't it, that the real potential that that the UK has to to blossom as a you know, as an export industry in its own right. Yeah, I, I think the um, the Splash Sekasui tie up. I think at the time it it, it was um, publicised. I, I said in the press it was a game changer. I think that was the term I used, and I stand by that. I do truly believe it's a it's a bit of a um, a quantum leap in terms of how we're going to progress modular and MMC in the market. And I think, you know, what what you've got there is is a relationship that's formed, as Simon said, not overnight. It actually took two and a half years for those parties to get comfortable with each other on a journey of um, courting each other, as it were, Sekisui House, understanding the British market, looking at options in terms of how it might enter that market. And then ultimately, you know, aligning culturally and behaviourally with a partner. And that's what Urban Splash have managed to do and, and all credit to them. I think to to get to that point and then to have access to what is a world-leading um, capability in terms of manufactured housing, um, you know, and, and there's no two ways about it. The way the Japanese approach that whole um, uh, sort of home building market it is is best in class. Yeah, and, and, is it, and is it not more disposable? Is it because is it, it, I guess... Critics would say that in England, our housing stock lasts for centuries. The Japanese tend to recycle it a bit more. Is that is that something that people should be concerned about? No, it's it's a red herring, Andy. And I hear this a lot. And you know, I understand why because you're right. The the Jap- historically the Japanese market has been very much about housing being a depreciating asset. You you buy a home and it depreciates over thirty years, and you knock it down and you put another home up, and you go into a showroom in a in you know somewhere like a Sekisui or or Daiwa or, or wherever, and you get another one. But that's not the reality of where the products are, particularly at the moment where um, you know the whole market is moved towards more um, efficiency of products, more longevity, um, less wastage in terms of you know having to take things down, demolish and rebuild. That's a wasteful exercise, and the Japanese market is recognised to be more sustainable. You need to be building for the long term, and actually the manufacturing processes that Sekisui employ in Japan are true advanced manufacturing. The buildings they put up are durable beyond many of the things that are being put up in the UK that are, are, are classed as traditional. So not not only are they technically better build quality because they're done through automated manufacturing processes, they're engineered in a way that, that is way beyond British standards in things like seismic design. So obviously Japan has to withstand mm. earthquakes. We don't have that here, but you know that, that engineering precision forces you into a position where the quality is so much better. So I, this whole thing about temporary homes throwaway homes it's a complete red herring you only have to go and see what's currently being designed and delivered in japan to see how far off that is and what what do you think the uh what do you think the future then looks like in terms of scaling things up because clearly a japanese business like sekisui house isn't you know they don't just want to be doing one or two sites they want to be they 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 were you know they're going to want to have aren't they the same sort of mass market exposure they enjoy back home how how do you think how do you think that can progress how long do you think it's going to take 
Yeah, there's clearly a maturity curve that the whole OMC sector needs to go on, and it's early well, is days. It, is it a V-shaped one? Is it a, is it L? That's. Is, well, I think <laughs> everyone's trying to struggle with all sorts of graphs at the moment, particularly post COVID nineteen, as to what is the shape Nike of the market is. Nike or WW Hotel. Yeah, well, look, to be honest, whatever MMC's curve is, it is going to be inextricably linked with what happens to the general housing market and the economy. You know, you can't buck that trend. So there's an element of having to understand the bigger macroeconomic picture. But I think there's an opportunity for government uh, and particularly looking at new housing programs that perhaps aren't completely focused on just build for sale. So to build more diversity into the market through, yes, building for sale and ownership is going to continue to be an imperative. And, you know, it should be in, in many respects around that ambition. But to then bring in a whole series of other product types that, and tenure types that give you a bit more resilience and more rental um, products give you access to investment funds that are more interested in annuity and yield than just capital receipts, which is the house builder model. Mm. And I think the more you can push the market in that direction, the more it aligns to what MMC um, works well with. Splash, Urban Splash and, and what Simon and his colleagues are doing is, is slightly different than they are a developer. Uh, they're a vertically integrated developer who happens to use manufacturing uh, at, at, its, at its heart. And you know it's a very effective one. It's design-led. It's focused on private sale. It's a developer trader business, but it's also interested in built to rent. So it has all of those strings to its bow in terms of um, being able to deliver housing products across the whole spectrum of tenure from from affordable housing through to private for sale and built to rent. And so that I think stands in good stead. And and I and I think, you know, Sekasuri Set House's ambition for scale to replicate what it's done in Japan will depend on government giving the MMC market the sort of the adequate cues, as it were, to support growth. And whether that's through regulation, things like trying to incentivize better carbon performance or better safety, there needs to be some elements of pump priming the market to to, to get the MMC sector to this so-called tipping point that we talk a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One one final thing then, just before we, we end uh this week it's obviously been a a a very busy podcasting week uh of of lots of um lots of great chatter from a good variety of people um tell us you know what's what's been some of your reflections I, i think you know one of the questions that that has come back over the week has been around design and space standards are these just going to be you know crappy boxes built in factories that that we force people to live in who can't afford to live in better homes what's your response to that so one of the key things that we need to do as an industry and as a sector is to bust that myth exactly what you've just said about you know everything that prefabrication to use that term you know you know I, i use it slightly hesitantly but you know that that is effectively what we're talking about um the whole association with poor quality design, poor quality build, uh, we need to break that myth. And the only way we're going to do that is through proving that this this new generation of modular and manufactured products um, are just completely different. And combining the idea of advanced manufacturing with good quality design. And you know, design still sits at the heart of this. And Simon made that point in, in what we've just heard in that in that final podcast there, that 
actually you've got to have a design first approach you can't be manufacturing that just it happens to produce a product that you then say well that's what i've manufactured buy it you need to think about the customer you need to think about the people living in the home how it's going to be used you need to be thinking about the home and, and not just the home but the place and the community you're creating and so for me what i'm really hopeful is we've got a a bunch of of true next generation advanced manufacturing type businesses now that are evolving in the UK. You combine that with great design and great placemaking. And I think you'll bust that myth and we'll, we'll move into a space where it's much more accepted as being a mainstream method of delivery. Excellent. Well, that all makes a lot of sense. So look, I mean, let, let's wrap things up then. So if there's, if there's, if you've got maybe two or three takeaways from the week, we've covered all sorts of ground from tech and the 3D printing of bricks to ripping up the procurement rules to focus a lot more on value rather than just price. And we've also talked really about the role of housing associations and public land, which which very much ties into the Help Homes for Heroes campaign, which has uh, which has also just been unveiled over the last few days as well. But look, if there are two or three things you think ministers should take away, what, what do you think those are, Mark? So I think you know, if we're going to build a sustainable long-term MMC sector within the home building market, then it has to be demand-led. So there's no point any intervention from government or whoever being about trying to stimulate capacity unless there's an end client at the end of it who's going to by the, the product that, that these factories are producing. So you, we have to fundamentally think about the demand side of the equation. And that, and that that is all about if there's government programs of home building or, or, or investment support, then it's stimulating that in the right areas of the market that actually push it towards modern methods uh, and don't just perpetuate putting stimulation stimulus packages into the market that just you keep perpetuating the same model so i've got nothing against the house builder model it's very effective and actually it delivers the bulk of what we do in this country at the moment but if we're going to be truly progressive and want to improve our housing market then we need additionality so the additionality needs to come from new players with new ways of building new designs and you know that is ultimately going to be involved modern methods of construction in mmc so the policy should think about that in terms of actually being intelligent and incentivizing the change towards more modern methods of building with with um uh, different uh, technical requirements more ambitious technical requirements and if we can do that then it stimulates the demand for that type of approach and, and that's where the sustainable change in our market is going to come from. Thank you then to Mark Farmer, as ever. Uh, and also a big thanks to Simon Gorfer a little bit earlier, the MD at Urban Splash. Uh, really appreciate you guys joining in to the last week of MMC podcast. Please do listen back to some of the other interviews we've had with LNG, Ilka Homes, Utopia, Homes England, Topa, and of course, Lang O'Rourke. Please do subscribe to PropCast. That's P-R-O-P, cast, PropCast. You can find us on Apple, on Spotify, uh, on SoundCloud, and broadly over the web. Do tune in to future episodes. And if you've got anything you'd like to discuss with us, please do get in touch. I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Thanks very much for listening.